Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Annie, you and I have been talking about doing this episode. I think we've teased it a little bit yeah. um, in our previous episodes about weaponized incompetence. And I know, I think we've talked about something similar to this. Uh, we had episodes that were kind of similar, at least talking around it uh, previously before, right? Yes. So we have done past episodes on emotional labor, which is related. Uh, surprisingly, Women in Survival Horror has this section uh, that is related that I'm going to talk about a bit later because, of course, I'm talking about a lot of fictional stuff that we see. Yes. Also, our episode on um, the widowhood effect and widowers has some stuff that's related to what we're talking about. And also, episodes on um, divorce have some of the stuff that we're going to be discussing in this episode. I think we've talked about that as well as with like older being the the responsible sibling. Or yeah. are, are like even like I believe your episode Daddy Issues had all of those as well. Like it's a mm-hmm. constant theme. And one of the reasons I was like, we need to do this. Let's talk about this. And you and I started like going back and forth, like we could talk about this and we could talk about this, was because there was this whole section in TikTok. Yes, y'all. Apparently I'm just TikTok talk all the time. So I apologize. <laughs> TikTok talk with Samantha. I love I it. I mean, essentially, I should just have that corner, right? Because it yes. would never end. But <laughs> part of that was talking about weaponizing confidence to the fact that this one dude, uh, he did a whole little gimmicky song about it, about what it is. And he got attacked by men because <laughs> mm-hmm. he just called it out. There was another TikToker who actually showed a grocery list that she sends with her husband. But instead of just being like, get eggs, get butter, get milk, it was get these types of eggs and puts a picture next to it to show him exactly what brands to buy. And yeah. it just kind of started this huge uh, conversation about what it was. And weaponized incompetence has actually been kind of a new ish term. It is also known as strategic incompetence. And just in case you don't know, it's the act of feigning incompetence at any one task, usually an unpleasant one, to get out of doing it. And that's from a Huffington Post. And it is. That's exactly what that is. It's kind of like pretending like you don't know. I did this as a kid. Uh, but also, uh-huh. it wasn't on purpose. It literally was when I was trying to put dishes up. And put it mm-hmm. in the dishwasher, dirty sink. It got to the point that my mother would come behind me and rearrange everything. And yeah. I'm like, what was the point of me doing this? And I would get mad. <laughs> yeah. Because it felt like it was a slight on to me. But at the same time, I'm like, you don't like the way I do it. Why don't you just do it the way you want to? So that's kind of that flip side. But of yeah. course, yeah, that came into when I would be asked the next time around. I'd be like, no, you do it. You do it anyway. I didn't say it that way. My mother would smack me. But <laughs> it was kind of that implication. And I was like, huh. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. And now that you mentioned that, because we're, we're going to discuss sort of the generalizations and stereotypes about what this looks like. And in general, it is usually a man trying to get out of something by saying, oh, I, I, you do it better. I can't do it. You do it. Uh, yeah, something that's they don't want to do. But now that you mentioned that, there's an interesting flip too of that in the dating world where usually women pretend they can't do something so that the men will do it and you can get closer right. in that way. Right. Uh, so that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but but that's still like building up the ego of the dude in this right. situation. Right. Well, I mean, think about it too when we have in the, the same Huffington Post article, it talks about uh, 
the weaponizing competence when it comes to female orgasm. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, saying like that literal excuse that we've heard many men and meninists say that <laughs> women are incapable of having an orgasm, so we're not even going to try. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad for you and for every it woman does. that you've ever been with. Please don't be with women. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's like, mm-hmm. huh, that's a whole either another level yeah. of weaponized slash strategic incompetence. And it's been used in the workplace. And that's kind of like that bigger arching. Like, this is how damaging this is. This is how women continue to not be able to move forward because people take credit of other people's work and through using strategic incompetence as in fact oh y'all while we were researching this an uh, old wall street journal article popped up and i say old because it was in 2007 that this was written so this has been over 15 years mm-hmm. and i had to be like i had to read it and when i read mm-hmm. through it i was like there's one theme and we're gonna talk about it so this article was written like i said in 2007 in the wall street journal uh, written by jared sandberg and the title of the article is the art of showing pure incompetence at an unwanted task uh so yeah bear with me while i read this to you and let's discuss so okay. uh, he starts to learn something at the office can be difficult but to refrain from learning something requires years of practice and refinement it's an office skill that Stephen Crawley finds indispensable quote the inability to grasp selective things can be very helpful in keeping your desk clear of unwanted clutter says the executive in HR or what he calls quote the dumping ground of all unwanted office tasks he says I have developed a very agile selective memory across a wide range of non-value added activities the most memorable time he brandished his non-skill was when the president at an automotive of parts manufacturer asked Mr. Carley to organize the company picnic. With a sensibility more dry than bubbly, he wasn't crazy about party planning, so he began to milk his lack of picnic knowledge for all it wasn't worth. He responded to any inquiries or suggestions with questions and comments such as, how do you do that? Or what did you guys do in the past? Or even help me remember while we're talking about this. Ultimately, responsibility for the picnic was reassigned. Mission unaccomplished, says Mr. Crawley. You'd be amazed about how much I don't know about picnics. Strategic incompetence isn't about having a strategy that fails, but a failure that succeeds. It almost always works to deflect work one doesn't want to do without ever having to admit it. For junior staffers, it's just a way of attaining power through powerlessness. For managers, it can juice their status by pretending to be incapable of lowly tasks. In all cases, it's a ritualistic charade. The only thing the person claiming not to understand really doesn't understand, that the victim ultimately stuck with the work sees through the false incompetence. This tactic starts in early youth with chores. How do you open the dishwasher? (laughs) It's puppy-eyed helplessness gets refined through homework with math word problems and book reports on Beowulf. In college, it gets reinforced by enablers who take better notes in class. And in a marriage, it works, but not as well by raising the specter of disaster from a task mishandled. If I do the wash, I might shrink your sweater. And how do you change diapers so they don't leak? At work, it can be institutionalized at customer call centers, for example, whose operators will transfer you to another department before the last department transfer you back to them. And for shady corporations, incompetence is the best legal defense strategy. 
For any employee, the soul-stealing complexity of office machinery such as fax machines, copiers, PCs, voicemail, and even coffee makers gives everyone ample cover to studiously never learn how to use them. But the same blank stare accompanies non-mechanical tasks too. Claire Wexler, an accountant who used to work at a law firm, says lawyers pretend to be completely flummoxed by all of these machines as well as everything related to accounting except for billing. Their message? I have so many lofty matters on my mind, I can't be bothered with mastering these small tasks, she says. Rescuing the pseudo-incompetent from an office task can mean doing it for life, failing to rescue risks the sting of being a non-team player. There's nothing worse than doing too good a job on something that you don't want to keep doing, says Carol Kempler-Meager. She once worked with another manager of different departments who played up the fact that he, quote, couldn't find his belly button with both hands, a map, and a flashlight. Each month, he'd start complaining that he couldn't close his books. Uh, Their boss would beg her to help him. She said, the following month, we could go through the whole thing again. Sometimes being a team player means getting your own stuff done so that other people can get their own work done. Laziness and status issues aside, Tom Colbert president of a logistics provider, observes that found incompetence sometimes comes from a genuine fear, not of looking stupid, but of proving it. There's no reason to demonstrate it, he says. For someone for whom no task is too small, such as Mr. Colbert himself, the fax machine and its labyrinth menu of options are more trouble than they're worth. It's a jungle. I'll coerce someone else into performing the task by feigning ignorance or frustration. That person... It's Mary Powell. She reports that Mr. Colbert engages in a lot of shrugging, sighing, and throwing up of the hands. He usually can figure out most things without too much trouble, she says. This one particular thing he doesn't want to take the time to do. Strategic incompetence involves a lot of unnecessary posturing, notes Robert Sutton, a professor of management science at Stanford University. But it's not all bad. One way in which lower status people feel more esteem in the presence of higher status people is to show that they have a skill that's valued and needed, he says. It can signify a mutual respect found in other hierarchies, he adds. I think of apes grooming. That's how (laughs) the article ends. Wow. One of the big themes behind this is that it's the men who say how to do this, how to use this, Uh and it's the women coming behind going, yeah, I have to fix this. Yeah, yeah. One being, I think it's really interesting, especially when you talk about like men failing up. A lot of times it's men failing upwards. And sort of this idea that the non-value added task, as I think he referred to it, and a lot of those tasks being things that are traditionally... Uh, viewed as women's work, whether right. it is like copies or um, cleaning, which we're going to talk about in our fiction portion more, like these things that people don't get noticed for or rewarded for. Or if you do, as it said, if you do too good a job at this thing because you're a team player and you want to be seen as really efficient and good at your job, then it becomes your job and you're not getting paid anymore for it. Right. It just sort of were able to successfully pass it off to you. And it's a weird way of trying to compliment you, I guess. But really, they're just manipulating you into doing a thing. When I first started working at this job, and at the time, it was like 2011, it was owned by a different company. Our colleague, Ben Bolin, <laughs> told me in all seriousness, never be too good at something. Right. Or they're going to ask you to do it forever. forever. And I remember sitting there thinking like, 
but I've been taught to do well. I want to do well. Well, this kind of comes back into the alignment of women have to be 120% sure mm-hmm. that they are experts and be qualified 120% beyond uh, what is actually being asked. And men mm-hmm. are like literally 70% qualified. They're like, yeah, we'll do this. Um, but that's that whole rhetoric. It's like the men are going to be like, don't do too good of a job. Because if you do, they're always going to ask you. And then women are like, but we have to prove myself or I'll never move mm-hmm. up in the world. And even if I do, I still won't move up in the world. And the kind of like this article, I absolutely read it as sarcastic. I believe that's what the writer was intending because he definitely mm-hmm. made a point to discuss the uh, unequal leveling in the workplace. Um, even the ending was so condescending grooming of monkeys grooming each other okay okay cool 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 and then it, it literally was like huh huh you're calling this out you're leaving it without any opinion i mean his his language is absolutely an opinion but you know like you're not saying anything outright and then moving on but if you really truly look at what's happening it does feel like and we're going to talk about this in our section in a minute about fiction but this feels like the beginning of a, a fiction of a, a sitcom this is the office as you, as we were going to talk about, like literally the setup of an office, um, and Michael being the most incompetent boss, and Pam having to fix everything for him, like the phone calls. But yet he kind of proves himself over and over and over again, and she's trying to fix that. And then also, as of late, Pam being the bad guy. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe we should go ahead and move into this fiction part. Um, we can weave we We'll leave this article in. But uh, one more thing. Yeah. I did like that he, they made sure to discuss about the parenting and the mm-hmm. family, this whole bit about the fact, I don't know how to change a diaper, which I have actually heard. I've actually yeah. heard that being used. And not just by men, I will say, teenagers. And that's rightly so, yeah. but they also are like, oh, this is gross, I don't want it. Right. You're like, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, um, my dad had many a fine quality, <laughs> but he he did a lot of this stuff. Like, if he was left in charge of us, I remember one time he tried to cook eggs. Eggs. <laughs> Burnt them. <laughs> Burnt them. And then he said to my mom, like, listen, we're going to have to just get takeout anytime you're not here because I can't do it. But, I mean, he could grill, which is the masculine area, right? right. But nothing else outside of that. And then, like, uh, if I was sick, if I was throwing up, he would freak out and be like, it's a crisis. Where's your mom? And he would, like, run, literally run away. And then if my mom went out, he would forget to put us to bed. So she'd come home at, like, 10 p.m. and we were still awake. And she'd be like, why didn't you... Oh, I was just watching this. I don't know. <laughs> like, but he would often say those kinds of things like, I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. I can't learn. I just, just kind of like a panic mode of like, no, 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 I can't do that. Right. And so she would do it. It was, she had to do it. And she, she told me recently, like she had to stop going out as much because she right. couldn't trust that he would take care, take of, care us. of us. Like I can only mm-hmm. think of a handful of times that my dad stayed with us as well. And not because he didn't want to necessarily. I don't know if that's the case, but my mother, I think, absolutely felt guilty for being away, which is a whole different conversation in itself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I absolutely have seen that as well. And that's the same thing with work. For me, I absolutely was terrified of missing work, even till this day. Of course, what we do is a little different and we have each other and our whole our whole team is women, thank God. And they would pick Mm -hmm. up that slack. And I love that. And I've never really dealt with in iHeart yet of that type of an ability to help someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a pretty good crew of people in our immediate 
group. But like, I've definitely dealt with that in government. I've definitely seen that as the higher ups, who is doing what and who's asking what. When we look at legal teams, I have a friend who is a paralegal who always get the brunt of the load of things that that's not even her job, but being asked yeah. to do that. I'm like, what in a very male driven field mm-hmm. where she was like, it, it was made up of a lot of people, but you kind of like, mm. and there's, there's a lot of classism in this as well Sure, that we can come back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into that whole office conversation. Yeah, so one of the first things I think of when we were talking about this, which of course I have a lot of fiction examples and Samantha's got some too, but is The Office um, because it's kind of a prime example of what we're talking about where you do have this like ultimate incompetent boss who should not be in that position. So many times you should get fired. And Pam as sort of, at least in the beginning, in the sort of secretary position that is cleaning up after him constantly. But there's one episode in particular where Pam gets frustrated because the microwave is like constantly dirty and she's always having to clean the microwave. So she like leaves a note and then everyone's talking about how she's being passive aggressive and like, why can't she just do it? And then she tries to explain to Andy, she talks to Andy about it, I believe it's Andy. And he's like, oh no, I can't, I would just make it worse. I would just mess it up. And she's like, how would you make it worse? It's clean, you just clean it. And he's like, oh, and he's like walking away quickly. I would just make it worse. And that's kind of like what my dad would do. Like That's the exact the idea of like, oh, you do it. You're really good at it. I would just mess it up. Basically saying, I don't want to do this. Right. And then her being seen as like nagging. Right. That sort of nagging. Well, why can't she just do it? Well, and that's what one of the it. things that she says is, if I do it now. Right. Then I'm going to hold up the standard and I'll be expected to do this from now mm-hmm. on. And that's that mm-hmm. conversation again, like, oh, well, you did it before. Why, why wouldn't you just go ahead and do it? I don't, we right. were talking about that. This is, you know, this, it just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Again, as of late, I've seen a lot of rhetoric that Pam was the bad guy. Also that Jim mm-hmm. was the bad guy. And that's a whole different conversation in itself. <laughs> that Pam was the bad guy in that she was too nagging again, mm-hmm. that she was uh, condescending or rude and all these things. And I'm like, was she? No. Was she though? Was it it's just because you don't like women who are just present? Right. And maybe calling you out a little bit. And she did have, like, she had an arc for sure where she kind of went from meeker to not as meek. Right. But certainly, like, she was, I wouldn't say she was nagging, even when she was trying to get people to do, basically take care of their own nonsense. Right. She was, I mean, that's another part we're not really discussing is she was managing Michael. Mm-hmm. Like she was, it was a whole extra task she was doing that she wasn't getting paid for or like noticed in. Right. Where she was cleaning up after all of his messes and expected to do that because if she didn't, then the whole company would go under. Right. Um, or, or either somehow someone else would get in trouble because that's the world we live in. But yeah, I don't, I mean, it's been a minute since I've watched it, but I don't recall thinking she was in any way like the villain. Right. I mean, also in this conversation, again, this is kind of being maybe a little more classist than anything else. Like she and the new receptionist, Aaron, are both treated as really dumb. 
Don't get me wrong. Aaron's character is supposed to be a little more ditzy, trying to figure things out. I get that arc. But both of them, being the secretaries or PAs, were treated that way immediately. And so, therefore, they should be the ones that doing the menial tasks and right. doing, like, ridiculous things and be expected to, like, take some of the abuse and, of course, the sexual harassment. The office has not aged well. We'll go with that mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't think much has changed in that type of conversation and rhetoric and in everyday rhetoric in that we see a lot of PAs being women. Mm-hmm. It's gotten different. We actually, when I was working at DJJ, uh, I had a PA and we had one dude that was it. And he was awful. <laughs> awful. Like he would just not show up. And we were like, what the hell? Wow. And we had a pretty easy like, hey, we understand this work is really just menial, like, you're taking notes, you're doing emails, and you're doing, like, shredding papers because we have a lot of sensitive information on paper. We're like, this has to be shredded. This has to be properly destroyed. Can you do these things for us? And it's really a menial test. I get that. I get that. However, if it's that menial, it shouldn't be that hard. And for him... <laughs> It was super hard. Showing up was super hard. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to know why it's mainly women who can do this type of labor because they are organized and consistent enough to do so. And I don't have to harp. Right. And also, like, going back to what you said, which I think is a good point, that women feel, oh, I'm going to get fired if I don't do, like, above and beyond. Or these expectations that we might have been socialized to think is where we need to go, like the norm is actually higher than what (laughs) is expected. But like that pressure, um, because I definitely, looking back at my career, I've had a few instances of what I would call benign examples of this, where people were like, you're so good at doing this, can you help me? Yeah. And I really don't think it was a manipulation tactic. I think they could have done it and they were like, she's good at it, maybe I can get her to do it. I don't know. But... I I did look, I was thinking about this the other day and I remember just so clearly feeling like, we've talked about this recently, like I could be fired if I don't do right. perfect. Like I got to do so well. And so I think that that is a really important part of this conversation. And also, the, yeah, to the point of in the office, I also feel like the receptionist character is often totally dismissed or kind of seen as invisible and just somebody who has to do the thing that you don't want to do. Right. And just not treated very respectfully. Right. Not being asked, not being yeah. thanked, like all of those mm-hmm. things. And I do want to go back to, because this is that same article about Mrs. Meager who talked about her boss being ridiculous. And she's saying sometimes being a team player means getting your own stuff done so that other people can get their own mm-hmm. work done. And I, I thought about like, yeah, you're literally holding back people. This is that whole like also that team building or like group projects when you have that one person who doesn't want to hold up their end of the deal. So therefore you're doing their work for them because it affects everyone, but it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because they don't care. Mm -hmm. And they also, again, most likely someone in their group will do it for them because this affects all of them. Right. And they are confident that they will not be the one that gets blamed for it. Right. Or that they can talk their, their way out of it. Right. And just leave it alone mm-hmm. or maybe no one will make a big deal and just do it. Yep. You know how I am. I can't do this and this and this and this. Although I think I use <laughs> that with you when I'm like, I don't prioritize getting my money back. Can you do it? <laughs> so one of us can get paid? Thanks. <laughs> um, well, and I, I also want to talk about, this is something I have mentioned in several 
podcast that I wanted to talk about. We're going to get into it more in a minute. But I think not only is this happening, but we're glorifying it in men. Like, it's funny and cute. Like, oh, silly him. He can't do it. So, oh, like the wife in this case, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs me. Like, it's it's ma- we've made it into something that is, like you said, a plot of a sitcom where it's funny and we like these male characters that can't do anything. And we like laughing at them. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but it's that we're making them the hero and the woman the nagging villain. <laughs> right, right. It's true. And going back to that TikTok phenomenon, apparently like millions, there's millions of people looking at the tag weaponized incompetence. There's been so many posts. And you know, this pandemic has shown the real uh, unequal bits of what is happening and who's taking on a chunk of the responsibility. And, you know, it's about trust, like, like in, in just about being able to get support and being able to lean on someone to get that support, to get things done and not breaking down. And yeah, like you said, it is often villainized in movies. And I feel like both of these cinemas are seen in Mrs. Doubtfire, which is why I was like, Annie, you have to go watch this before we start. Yes. So... Can you please tell me you've watched this, yeah? I did watch it. It was my first time. Okay. I had never seen it. I'd, I'd heard of it. Right, I knew right. of its existence. <laughs> so it was made in 1993. I need to hear a synopsis from you as well as a review. <laughs> oh, Lord above. <laughs> I'm giving you assignments. Ah, uh, you are. Okay. So it stars Robin Williams as the dad in this case, the strategic incompetent person who is an actor, like a voice actor, a child actor. And uh, Sally Field is his, she, she's business adjacent. She's high up business person. And he is sort of the fun dad who never does the stuff that they need to do that, to take care of their two, three children, three children. And so finally one day, Sally Field comes home and is like, I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. And he's all like, no, you can't do it. I need my children in my life. And she says, no. <laughs> he's allowed visitation like on weekends and stuff, but she also doesn't like what he's doing there because his apartment's not great and the food he provides isn't good. Um, so she reveals she's going to get a housekeeper and he asks if it can be him. And uh, she says no. So he, of course, dresses as an elderly British woman named Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, gets the job in part because he like knows the family, I think. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the kids love Mrs. Doubtfire after a tense start. And then Sally Field's character goes to love Mrs. Doubtfire. And also you see him really struggling with like, he has to learn how to cook and he has to learn how to clean all the stuff he's been like putting off forever. And then... Pierce Brosnan enters the picture and is trying to date Sally Field. And then, what is this? Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams' character, not Mrs. Doubtfire, gets an opportunity at a TV station for a children's show. It all comes to a head. We find out the whole, everyone finds out Mrs. Doubtfire is, in fact, not Mrs. Doubtfire and Robin Williams. But he gets this show as Mrs. Doubtfire. And then, I guess they decide that he can work and take care of the children at the end and maybe they'll make amends. Uh, was that a good That was good. Summary? That was good. I liked it. Very good. Oh, so what do you think you. about it? I It was different than I thought because I'd heard a lot about it and I was just kind of still shocked at it. I'm, so I'm not sure how well it's aged either. But, you know, it was enjoyable. I was annoyed at how, since we are talking about this and I was looking at it through that, that lens, I was annoyed at how much, like, Robin Williams' character does the, like, you're taking my kids from me and crying and crying and she's the... 
the bitch, the villain who's like not giving in to his his scenes of emotion. Um, and the kids are against her for a long time and he's against her. And so it did feel very like he seemed to not be pulling his weight at all. And then when she's like, well, you've got to do it. you got to help me. And then he didn't, didn't really. And he was the fun dad and she was the bad evil mom. And I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like that. She yeah, gives that whole speech. Yeah. And it's, it's the way, because it's Sally Fields who is icon, you know, and she just mm-hmm. delivers that speech in the heated way. And it's, she's not wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not wrong in what she's saying. Right. It was, it was weird because to me, when I watched it, I was, I guess, I was, you know, on her side, or at least I saw her point of it. I wasn't at Maz at her, but it was definitely painting it like she's the one breaking up this family. Right. She's the one that won't let them be happy together, even though that's what the kids want, what he wants. She is the villain for sure. And now she's dating Pierce Brosnan and she's putting her work like in a high place. So definitely bad. She hires a housekeeper. She's not with her kids. Like it was definitely pointing the finger at her as the bad mom and villain of this. Right. When really it seems like she's just trying to be the good mom and take care of her children and also make money. Right. And, you know, uh, thinking about it, Santa Claus, did you ever see that? Yes. The same thing. The grandmother is the evil mother who is trying Mm -hmm. to keep her son away. To be fair, the son's like, I don't want to go over there because my dad's lacking so many things, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. I also want to go ahead because I was looking at IMDb. I was like, I just want to make sure we got all the characters because, you know, we had to get all that right. Mm-hmm. But, oh my God, these plot summaries that the reviewers put in, let me go ahead and just read a line from each one. This one starts okay. off with, eccentric actor Daniel Hillard is an amusing, caring father. So that's how that goes. And he talks mm-hmm. about how he's trying to get himself together to uh, see his children. His wife, Miranda, draws a line and files for divorce. He can only see his children once a week and doesn't sit well with him. Uh, he also holds a job at a TV studio. Like all of these things that you're like, this obviously, yeah, you read into that. And then the last line is, and he must also deal with Miranda's new boyfriend, Stu Dunmeyer. Yeah, I'm like, that's an interesting way to end that. And then this one yeah. says, troubled that he has little access to his children, divorced Daniel Hillard, hatches an elaborate plan. And then he they go on to explain what it is. But it's like, hmm. That's an yeah. interesting way to say that. And then this one, how far would an ordinary father go to spend more time with his children? Well, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, and then this longer line also starts with, Daniel Hillard is a voice actor living in San Francisco, California. Though a devoted, loving, and well-meaning father to his three children, uh, Daniel is a poor disciplinarian and his wife considers him unreliable. <laughs> Yeah, well, so that's when I I wrote some, like, key things down when I was watching it. And I think, one, it's interesting to me, and I'm glad you brought up the Santa Claus, because I think every Christmas movie ever has this plot. But, like, it's interesting to me that he's all, I want to spend more time with my kids, but he wasn't really outside of, like, being goofy dad every now and then. He wasn't really spending that much time with them anyway. It's ironic to me that he had to pretend to be a woman to take some responsibility. Right. And that's when he's first is like, oh, cleaning and cooking. And yeah, like he has this whole like tearful line, I need to be with my children. But he really wasn't taking responsibility for their raising. And yeah, just because he is the hero of this story. Right. Again, it goes back to what I was saying, where we've really painted this into, 
I don't like again. Yeah, this goofy, well-meaning, like you know, oh, he tries his best, but does he though? Because right. clearly he did it. <laughs> clearly he did. So we know that it begins right. with a disastrous birthday party, which the neighbors mm-hmm. call Miranda to come home and fix uh, because he wasn't listening to the neighbors. Which there's one thing to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neighbors are annoying. However, in this instance of having live animals roaming up and down your street and you don't know what's happening at three p.m., mm-hmm. there's some questions. There's some questions. <laughs> Him quitting sure. a job without uh, talking to his wife and not even leading up to something. And the fact that she is the primary breadwinner in this scenario as well. And and yeah, they paint that as a bad thing when I'm like, yeah, but he just quit his job. Like no one, mm-hmm. no one saw that. Right. Who's, who's going to be the one taking care of? So she's going to do both. Y'all are mad that she's yeah. doing both. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, moving yeah. on. And then also his redeeming arc, because he's already sympathetic to begin with, is that mm-hmm. she finally has a moment to confide in him, and he's finally listening. Instead of being defensive and argumentative, mm-hmm. he could only do that dressed as a woman. Yep. Yep. I thought that too. And I I was thinking, like, I guess I could make an argument that this was a commentary on gender, on a gender dynamic yeah. in a heterosis relationship we already know exists, but it's weird that it's so, like accepted that this is the way it is. Right. But, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I really love this comedy. This is one of my dad's favorite movies. And he used to do these lines and it was hilarious. And I still remember these iconic lines. Robin Williams, I, I loved him. And I am so grateful that he was that good of a human that I don't have to backtrack and say, he's not a great person. <laughs> we know these things about him. Very grateful mm-hmm. for that. And we know that he was a kind person. And this pretty much fell into his kind of... Chris Columbus is the one who directed this. And we know him from Harry Potter, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. like all of these things is like, yeah, it's absolutely a stereotype. And it took a while before really people had a moment of like, yeah... Yeah, this is not the best commentary on relationships, and here's why. Um, (laughs) And even still, people would be like, feminists are being over the top. It's just a good-hearted movie, calm the f*** down type of commentary. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, but this does needs to be a conversation about why this is a problem, why we need to have several talks about what this is and how women are portrayed in media. You've got one of the best actresses in the world playing this awful, awful character with some of the cutest kids, Mara Wilson, in in the movie. You know, all of those things. But we need to unravel some of this conversation of like, why is this so accepted? And why is this Mm -hmm. the only way we can take any true commentary into point? And this, we're... We've already gone through Kanye, so I'm not going to bring it up too much more, except this is kind of that example of I'm a father, they're keeping my children away from me and demonizing right. the parent when they're like, no, you need to look at your own attitude, mm. what you are doing and your actions and how, mm-hmm. yeah. This yeah. is not about keeping a child away from the father. It's about having you get yourself together so you can be a good father. Yes. I was thinking about, like I said, all these Christmas movies have this plot of like the dad's not there. He's always working for Christmas. And then 
he doesn't get the toy and he forgot, even though his wife has been telling him forever to get the toy. I'm talking about Jingle all the way. But yeah, 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 yeah it happens yeah. a lot in all the movies. And she's seen as like the nagging person. And he's the hero at the end just because he finally realizes like, oh, I have a family and I, I'm here on Christmas. Right. Um, and I can't help but feel like this is like male writers writing these stories either to redeem themselves or their own fathers. I'm psychoanalyzing you, male writers. I'm sorry. Um, are that <laughs> women do it, maybe write some of this stuff to excuse all the work they do versus what their husbands do. And we haven't even gotten into the sitcom wife yet, which is a big piece of this conversation, especially for me, who I watched a lot of these growing up. And so many of those sitcoms, especially of like a certain time when I was watching them in like the 90s, early 2000s, um, were the husband and wife, and the wife was seen as the villain who was stopping him from having fun. She was the nagging housewife who was never happy, always yelling at him. And also, like, this is a separate conversation, but she was, like, banging, and he was not really. Right. Um, And I hate to make things about looks, and I actually have a whole thought process that I want to come back in a future episode about it, but just, it's, it made me so mad. Like, every time I'm like, why is she... Why is the, the sitcom wife always like this? And we're always laughing at like the antics right. of the husband and the main character in this, who is like not helping out around the house or with the kids and is messing up at work and forgets all this stuff. And then we laugh and laugh. And then right. when she comes on, we're like, oh no, the fun is ruined. Yeah. They, literally, that's exactly right. They're like, oh no, she took all the fun out of the room. You're like, Mm-hmm. Why? Because she asked you to clean. Why? Because she told you to go to bed. <laughs> Why? Because she said, dinner's ready. Can you please come on? I cooked your ass some dinner. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. And not just with like the really hot wives, but a majority of the time, they are half the age of the men. And as yeah. the men are the comedians, grow older and older, the wives stay the same age. And you're like, mm-hmm. this is not realistic. And mm-hmm. apparently having that flip is kind of offensive according to <laughs> our society. Like, it's just, it's quite funny because most of the things that we see with uh, women-centric comedies is that they're either single, they're with other women, or they're mm-hmm. w- divorced or widowed. Like, it's like they're trying to find themselves as new, you know, mm-hmm. like, those are the, com- again, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, perhaps a separate episode <laughs> I think we're kind of working on. But I have noticed things like that too. And I actually am... I mean, there's a very, there's a dark side of that, right? And very sad part. But I've been excited to see a lot of movies lately that I've been watching at least that are very much about the power of female friendship and supporting each other. I, that makes me happy. But it is kind of like, well, did we have to do this? Because the gender dynamic is so bad that we can't. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And, you know, we're watching this stuff as children and that's informing how we think households work and perhaps we're we're seeing it in our real lives and that's informing how we think these relationships work and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So we're really taking in these messages at a young age. I mean, it has everything to do, like we're being told as women that once you become a wife, a mother, you are a Mm -hmm. caretaker to the entire family. And Mm -hmm. when we talk about matriarch, it's kind of that. It's that women are taking care of the household. And then when we say patriarch, we're talking about them being the disciplinarian or the lead or the head. And it's like, even that seems sexist when we put that in in terms. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it is always presented. I mean, we've talked about this in so many 
so many things, but it's, again, another damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you have to take care of the kids, and if you don't, then you're like a cold bitch. And if you don't, like, if you work too much, then what's wrong with you? You should be home with the kids. But it's also, like, a weird space where you have to work, too. Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. It's infuriating. Uh, and it, it's just almost always, like, well, we're blaming the woman in this instance. Right. And I find that interesting. We, they make sure to have the women really dislikable. And it's not mm-hmm. the fact that there's any redeeming quality. You just don't like them because they're all these things that you see in your very strict mother or a very strict person in your life. And typically, again, our mothers in, in this in this type. But then if the dude is a dick, eh, it's just funny. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also, like, I want to come back to that in a second. But also, I promise you, most women don't want to, quote, nag. Right. We don't want to ask you to do these things. Right. Like, I dread it. Yeah. Because I know that's how you're going to view me. Yep. I'll just and do so, it. Like, I'll ask you once. Exactly. I'll ask you twice. Mm-hmm. Then I'm done. And that's, again, the same thing as weaponizing competence. Exactly. Thank God I don't have to deal with that as much, but I've seen it. I've seen it in mm-hmm. workplaces. I've seen it in, like, all of that. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of this, too. Like, we... I mean, we really don't want to. I mean, who would want to do that? Right. Uh, a certain number of people, yes. But most people don't want to have to, like, take on this task. I don't think so. It takes a lot of energy. It does, exactly. It's another thing we're doing and we're not getting paid for or recognized for other than you're being a bitch, stop bothering Right. right. <laughs> yes. So I'm not going to go into this too much. I think we should come back in a future episode. I've mentioned it a lot. And I have a happy hour about it coming up, but kind of related to this is what I was talking about earlier, which is something I call the glorification of the ass, which is the kind of a similar idea where we're laughing at the the bumbling sitcom husband and we're like, oh yeah, well, he's funny and putting them in sort of the hero pedestal. And I think lately we've seen kind of something related, uh, which is the anti-hero who's usually a jerk and sarcastic and rude is the hero and we're behind this person. Right. So I've seen it in Star Wars. I've seen it in Marvel. Like I have a whole thing about Iron Man, who I think is an interesting character. I just think... Oh, he's a dick. Perhaps we should... Exactly. Perhaps we should not be... He's like a lot of people's favorites. And I get... I don't... But he's funny and he's interesting. And But we should step back and be like, okay. <laughs> I mean, essentially, Pepper Potts had to take over the company because he was exactly. getting like too sidetracked. Don't get me wrong, I know mm-hmm. he's inventing things and helping the world, but he also claimed that for himself and was very proud mm-hmm. of it and took all the claim. Even that whole like uh, beginning of Avengers where he's doing the whole clean energy stuff and he's like, give yourself mm-hmm. some credit. Give yourself like 30%. I can't remember the line, but it's very significantly mm-hmm. less. And she's like, what? Right. <laughs> what? Right. <laughs> which, yeah, which again, I get is supposed to be funny, but it's also like, why is this funny though? Because yeah. he's kind of being a jerk. Yeah. And he has a, he has a lot of instances where I'm like, Mm. <laughs> I don't know that we should be like, like he brought her strawberries and she's allergic she, the only that's yeah. the one thing really dude you're trying to kill her yeah. cool and I, again there's like a he, it's painted as a quirk and he's busy and he has all this stuff sure and you don't care about fine. this person <laughs> yeah it's it, there's a lot and I know there, it's like complex and there's a lot of stuff we could talk about but I did want to mention that and I wanted to mention when, when I said survival horror is another episode you could listen to that's sort of related to this is I think we're a lot more forgiving of men and their flaws, mm-hmm. especially white men and their flaws and their trauma um, as compared to anyone else. So like, 
a character like Kylo Ren, for instance, we're like so ready to explain his backstory and we're so ready to be like, but he's tragic and sad and oh, you can't be mad at him because he has all this. We don't do that for a lot of women or people of color. Like, we're just like, no, I don't like her or whatever it is. Moving on. Exactly, exactly. We don't give them this kind of fan work of, but he's so, let me take care of him. He's so sad. And that's sort of a different conversation, but it's related to this, I think, where we're really ready to explain away men's flaws. Right. And particularly white men's flaws. And then there's the whole conversation with like Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and the anti-hero and <laughs> why we're like so ready to forgive and so like, but they're so good at their job. And somebody posted a list and was like, are they though? And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> And again, there's nothing wrong with liking those characters. I think we should just be clear on like the stories we've been told so often about what a hero is and what is somebody we're celebrating and why. And versus who are we like condemning and why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And this is like we've been talking a lot about fiction, but as you started off this conversation, Samantha, this does have real world consequences And, like, it's a way huger conversation than than we're going to get into right now. But I think things like Donald Trump is a part of this. Like, this this has real-world impacts that are huge. I mean, we could look at what's happening with Russia uh, and Putin. Mm -hmm. And, yes, we've had issues. I'm not putting it sorely on... Uh, Donald Trump, but this huge rhetoric of all of a sudden painting Russia as a hero, which did not happen... Until Trump, Mm -hmm. honestly, like Cold War is still fresh in most people's minds. Even if you Mm -hmm. didn't live through it, you still kind of know about it because there's been a lot of like end of times for the U.S. has had a lot to do with like Russia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We know this. (laughs) But like, yeah, like stuff like that where you have this like, but he wasn't being serious and having to backtrack. Right. But he... He was. like He was. There's a lot of conspiracy <laughs> theories and maybe not so conspiracy theories about like, what did we promise? Hello, look at what just happened with Ukraine. And hello, look what he did during the election, just the recent elections and trying to strong arm the Ukrainian government uh, with trying to win his own election. Like, it's, it, there's so many things to that. His alt, this excuse that we give to men, Kavanaugh, they were boys. Like the, when my mother said that to me and she was like, he was young. I was like, he was 30s. No, <laughs> no, he was yeah. an adult. I don't understand <laughs> this. He was young. Shit. Let's stop. And that's that same level of incompetence that he's like, do you really think that he didn't know? Like, again, it says it in that article about that it becomes a great defense strategy. And it has. It's worked. And it's become mm-hmm. absurd. Uh, we're looking at some of the recent campaigning. Marjorie Taylor Greene, which we haven't talked about because I'm like, I don't want to give her much air in general. I, can, I know we can't ignore her, but I don't want to acknowledge her either. Her recent, like, oh, I didn't know it was a white supremacist. Uh, I didn't realize this mm. was a whole, like, thing. I just went yeah. to talk about my stuff. Like, no. You can't, no. you can't, you can't blame that on your ignorance. Let's let's really be honest. Same thing with CRT. Same thing with so many other things. I think there was a huge conversation on TikTok once again about Mount Rushmore and how really bad it is, and how they literally took over the land from indigenous people who put <laughs> white men on it that we idolize way too much. Let's just keep it mm-hmm. to that point. But there's a lot of that to to that point, and like people will be like, well, we didn't know. Why are you? I'm like, yeah, this is what you should learn. Same thing as plantations. When people are like, oh, I didn't know it was a plantation. Well, I, I, I thought they changed. It burned. Bitch, no. <laughs> you knew. 
or you could have looked mm-hmm. it up. It's not hard. It's not hard. Right. And this whole right. level of like how this goes and stretches over all of society. It's not just men. It's not just uh, in marriages. It's not just at workplace, mm-hmm. but overall how harmful this rhetoric is and mm-hmm. why education is so important. That's a whole different thing. And taking on responsibility and just being a good damn human. Let's just let's just be there. <laughs> I'm done. Yes. Oh, I love it. We've we've touched on a lot. Like I I know that there's so much we touched on that is bigger than what we discussed today. And I'm sure we'll come back and, and talk about that. But yeah, clearly there's a lot going on <laughs> with this conversation <laughs> and its impacts and the damage that it can do and has done. But yeah, you know? <laughs> so much. Oh. I do like a lot of the fiction I mentioned. I'm just saying be critical of the messages right. you're receiving over and over. Be willing to have that conversation of, yeah, this was problematic. We've talked about this as we're trying to pick out books and movies to feature. Mm-hmm. We want it all to be highlighting and, and very happy because oftentimes topics I pick specifically are really sad and negative. So we try to do that on the opposite end, but... At this point, you know, you just have to acknowledge, I loved this at once upon a time, but yes, this is problematic, and we need to talk about why instead of ignoring it. hmm Well, that's part of the reason we're here. Oh. <laughs> but in a fun way. <laughs> but in a fun way. <laughs> in a fun way. Not here to make anybody feel guilty, uh, generally. Um, <laughs> not you, good listeners. No. Yeah, we love you. Well, thank you so much for going on this journey with us. Yes. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. And like I said, we got some follow-ups on this one. But in the meantime, if you have any thoughts about this, if you have any suggestions, please let us know. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 